Welcome back to Don't Call It a Book Club. My name is Luke. My name is Dan. And Luke, we need to talk about Star Wars. Okay, sure. Okay. So, in Star Wars, and let's let's just think about the very first original trilogy Star Wars episode. Episode 4, A New Hope. They go into this cantina. Mm-hmm. And in this in this cantina... There are tons of aliens. And then the whole rest of Star Wars, there's like one representative from each alien race that they ever encounter. Aside from Wookiees, because they have that scene in episode two where they go and they fight on Kashyyyk. Aside from you mean, that. You mean, you mean Ewoks? No. Wookiees. Okay, sure. So they in episode six, they are on, I don't remember what moon they're on. I think it's Endor? Yeah. Yeah, they're on Endor, and they're the Ewoks there. But those are literally the only times that we see more than one representative of an alien race. Every other time, it's like we see an alien, and we just assume that there are more of that alien. And we're never, we never see, like, alien culture. True. Yeah. <laughs> so so Star Wars movies are uh human washed instead of whitewashed? Yeah, they're hu- they're so human washed, dude, cuz we know there are so many aliens in the universe. We see these like this representation of aliens occasionally, and then all the movies are just totally based on humans and we see very little aliens doing anything. And and you have to assume that the so most of Star Wars is based on like fighting back against the Empire. You have to assume that all of the other alien races within the Empire are significantly affected by the Empire and by the rebels fighting the Empire. Right. So you would you would expect them to be like pretty highly represented in the rebel force. Or barring that, if they were let's say they're supportive of the Empire, you would think that you would see way more aliens in the Empire's army or whatever. Okay, precisely. And in fact, I would say we should see way more alien representation, especially with the rebels. And we see, like, who is the... It's a trap guy again. Whatever the It's a Trap guy is. Akbar, Admiral Akbar. Yes, Admiral, of course, Admiral Admiral Akbar. We see that the aliens are on the side of, like, the rebels because the Empire has no aliens in it. And that's actually... One of the few reasons why you are supposed to think that the Empire is evil is because they're, like, subtly racist. Yeah, because they only have humans, basically. Exactly. And I guess I shouldn't say subtly racist. Like, they, there are a few lines in the original trilogy that, like, set it up that the Emperor, the Empire is definitely speciesist and hates aliens. But given that reality, every other alien race would be allied with the rebels against the empire. Right. You would think you yeah, you would think so the rebel like uh army always seems super small. You would think that they they would be like bolstered a lot by like hordes of aliens. Because like in every other like fantasy or sci-fi thing where uh like humans are or I guess yeah, I guess humans basically are like subjugating other races, they always come in mass to fight against 
the humans, but not in Star Wars for, for some reason. Right. We don't see en masse aliens fighting against the Empire. We see the odd see, like, alien. Two. Yeah, yeah, the one that was like, hey, I don't really like this, so... <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, maybe maybe the maybe the rebels aren't as good as we thought. Yeah, I guess there there could be two explanations for this. The first is that maybe the conflict between the empire and the rebels isn't as big as the movies make it seem. Yeah, like yeah, maybe like the empire has very little power. It's just like they they, they only have power like over a couple like human race worlds, I guess, or something like that. Right. And the rest of the universe is just like, or rest of the galaxy just doesn't really care. Yeah, exactly. It's more of like a civil war than like a giant galactic war that's happening. And the only reason we see any aliens is they're like, oh, yeah, the Empire kind of sucks. So we'll help out the rebels a little bit. Yeah, I could see. The only thing against that is I have a hard time believing that other like races in or species in the galaxy see like this human empire that has a ship that destroys worlds in one shot and they're like we'll let them deal with it i (laughs) i would imagine that they would take a little bit more offense to that but who knows like oh it's not our place let's let them (laughs) they're just really polite (laughs) yeah totally an option i could see it so the other, the alternative is that the war is way bigger than we imagine, and the Empire has already extinguished, basically committed genocide against base, every other alien race that is sentient. And so we are seeing, like, the refugees of the aliens that are helping the rebels. Sure, yeah. I, I, there, I think there's also a third alternative where the uh the rebels are only slightly less racist than the empire (laughs) like we all okay i'm gonna bring this back to uh our society you ready for this tie-in here we go uh hollywood always seen as super like left left wing often gets criticized for not enough like minority representation maybe that's maybe that's the rebel force basically so so you're saying the rebels are, they have an outward policy that is inclusive and accepts diversity, but in the internal workings of the rebellion, they're led by a human princess and the higher ups in the rebel army are basically all people. Right. And they, and they have, they have like a few, uh, like just kind of token high up members like Yoda and Admiral Akbar, <laughs> Right. But he's just known for a catchphrase. Like, they don't actually have him yeah, doing... Yeah, he's, he's not actually that... Well, I don't really know the details of their army, but I feel like he's not that high no, up. No, they keep him around because he's funny. <laughs> and so uh, so maybe, you know what? Maybe uh, George Lucas was actually, like, creating a just really subtle pushback against Hollywood. Maybe this is, like, a super deep criticism of the way hollywood does things and we're just the first ones to point it out yeah uh, i think that's probably true and i think it's evident in the fact that he created jar jar binks to represent the value and the just the the qualities that we're missing out on you know right yeah and he did that he did that super well i think all right 
that's probably that probably wraps up Star Wars, Star yeah, Wars discussion. I think we, I think we nailed it. <laughs> uh, we actually we really jumped into that early. We haven't even talked about what we're that this episode is supposed to be about. So we we read this episode largely is about a Brandon Sanderson uh, short story called The Emperor's Soul. It's a I guess novella set in the same world as Elantris. We've read, norm, normally when we do these episodes, we've read a part of the book. This time we've read the whole book, considering it's only like 120 pages or so. Uh, so we'll talk about all of The Emperor's Soul today. Yeah, this is definitely a, in, you, you could honestly do this book in one sitting. Right, I, I read it this morning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, you, we can, let's jump into it. So any first impressions? Yeah, this is a lot more about how Brandon Sanderson writes characters and a few other authors, actually, that makes me feel really incompetent and pretty dumb a lot of the time. Oh, yes, I know what you mean. And what I mean is when he has a character who is having a discussion with another character, and they're picking up on every subtle hint that the other character is relaying to them, either... Uh, facial expression that they are able to extrapolate this character's motivations based on or some characters in the background that react to something that the lead character says that gives them this like insight about who they are or how this dynamic works and i read those scenes and just think like wow i'm so dumb yeah and yeah and that that's pretty common i think in a lot of other books and by other authors and okay I wasn't going to bring this up, but that's a good point that I want to talk about. Eyes are telling to a lot of people in these in books and not to me. Am I the, am I missing out on like a lot of information from people's eyes or or is that just or or authors just very much exaggerating? I honestly don't know. I feel like they're just exaggerating because they have to make because it makes the character sound so freaking smart. It makes the character sound like Sherlock Holmes when they can be like Oh, Gremlin looked to the left today instead of to the right, meaning he had three eggs instead of two for breakfast this morning. His wife must be extremely pleased with the how he took out the trash last night. And it's like, ha- wait. Yeah, yeah. Or, and it's always just like, they get kind of a hint of how someone's feeling. They're like, Glenn smiled, but I saw a flash of irritation behind his eyes. It's like, what do you mean? <laughs> Like, I feel like I sometimes can tell a fake smile, but I can't tell what separate emotion is hiding behind your eyes. And I, I honestly wonder sometimes if, like, whether or not I'm missing that kind of thing. Right. Or if or if I just, I recognize it, but don't, like, consciously recognize it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I wonder if I can read facial expressions and, like, eye expressions somehow, and I just don't know it. Yeah. Because it's so common. Yeah, to a certain extent, I think that's true. But I think it is so over... Again, it makes me feel so dumb. Because I, in none of my interactions, do I have this, like... Do I gain this insight beyond what I'm talking to a person about from just, like, their face and their body language and these little subtle moves? Because, it, it, I mean, it feels like these characters are able to draw out so much more than just the motivations of another character they're talking to like it honestly feels like they're able to put together this whole story of where this emotion comes from that i just 
And yeah. in this story, Shy? Shay? We gotta make a decision, Luke. I'm, uh, I'm, saying, I'm saying Shay. I think Shay. So in this story, Shay is supposed to be like a genius who's great at reading people. But n- not every character is that. And in Elantris, pretty much all the characters also did this, where they were able... There was this extra level of communication that was happening that I just feel like I have no idea. I, I don't live on that level. And I, I feel dumb because I don't... It makes me feel so dumb that I don't think about that when I'm talking to somebody else. Yeah. It's, I think that's especially the case in this book because the amount of information that Shay gets, it's like there's a, there's a couple parts where I think she's talking about like the guards and she knows some detail of their lives that it's like, there's no way you could know that unless he told you. Like, I don't see how she's reading certain things from people. Right. And, okay, here's another example. I don't know. Maybe she read one of the letters from the, uh, uh, what's his name? Like The blood sealer uh, or the blood... blood sealer, yeah. yeah. Did she read one of the letters or did she just, like, figure out somehow that it was from some woman back home? Like, I feel like that's not that hard of a guess. But then later on, she says something along the lines of, like, you should go home. And then her, justifi- her she says, that's why she's, like, phrasing things a certain way. Did she read the letters? No, definitely not. I, I imagine not. I don't think she did because it would be obvious to, to the blood sealer if she'd read the letters. But somehow she's picking up on the tones of this dude's like girlfriend <laughs> based off of nothing. Which, to give a little bit of, a little bit of pushback, she could be lying. She could just be saying that because she wants him to go home. And a lot of the time she does say, ooh, I had to make a guess there, and it turned out I was right. But the, like, the level of educated to her educated guesses is so high that it just makes me feel so dumb. And I just had to talk about that for a minute, that reading reading those scenes in both both of Brandon Sanderson's books that we have read, and sometimes in A Game of Thrones, would just make me feel so incompetent right yeah yeah i definitely agree with that and i i think that's pretty prevalent in like a lot of different books and it's uh, it's pretty incredible and it's also kind of common not in the same like emotion reading kind of way there's a lot of books like this where i think i mean it's purposeful obviously but where the characters are so good at something that it's just like kind of a shot to my self-confidence you know Shay is so incredibly smart at just like, first of all, she's so good at like, uh, uh, just like stenciling in little things, which I would not be able to do and is somehow able to spend like 22 hours a day for three months reading books and like, right. The level of feat that we see of so many characters, the way that they're able to do things that are extraordinary make you feel so like what are you doing oh you you went to work today like i'm like reading reading this and recording a podcast today it's pretty pretty rough yeah (laughs) okay so i wanted to talk about how this is pretty you haven't read much of the cosmere you've really only read a launchers in this 
I've read a decent amount more. So crossovers mm-hmm. are pretty common and they're often supposed to be pretty subtle. Did you did you see any of the cross crossovers between this and Elantris? Yeah, there were a couple. There's not there's not that many. And I think they're just put in there as kind of a hey, this is like a pretty cool thing that I do as an author. <laughs> because I've noticed a lot of the, the, I think the prime example is late in the book when she's running around, she like it says she like runs past a southern amb- ambassador in like red armor. It's like, oh, one of the uh Fjordale priests. <laughs> and it's cool that he does that little tie-in thing. <laughs> but I've seen a lot of reviews for the book where it's like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> like, oh yeah, there's like a there's like little hints of things from Elantris. He does a lot of cool ones in his other books. This example isn't isn't quite as cool as I think a lot of people think it is. Yeah, I mean so there's no functional role to any of the stuff from Elantris that I got out of it. It's all just like cool cosmetic stuff. Right. Or lore that has already been built in Elantris that he calls on like, oh yeah, the Teo, Teodish Peninsula he talks about at one point. And so there's there's a callback to it, but it's not. it doesn't have any impact on the story necessarily. Right. Which... I just think it's kind of funny how how much of a like pat on the back I guess everyone gives themselves for being like oh yeah I saw this cool part about Elantris. It's like yeah, <laughs> it's not that cool. <laughs> I don't know if that's a hot take or not. Potentially, <laughs> Luke, Luke, I've just developed. Okay, I'm currently developing a theory right now. Okay, those are always those are always the best ones. This is live in process. Okay, maybe. It's like super connected in the sense that maybe aeons and these stamps are basically the same thing. Mm. Okay, sure. So Shay talks about the stamps, like they access the soul of an object and things like that. But I mean, they're magic is what they are. They do magic. And when you write an aeon in the air, you're creating this like image of a bunch of lettering and symbols in a specific way that accesses the magic of the door. Mm -hmm. And so maybe these are both ways of just accessing the magic and it's all like symbol based and you have to write it on something. And maybe that's the like deeper tie in, right? The deeper tie in is that the stamps are aeons it's just they're called something different yeah just in kind of a different form i will say so so uh how did you did you buy this like emperor's soul as like a standalone or did you buy he has this kind of collection book that has a bunch of short stories in it did you just do the standalone like yeah i just i just got it from the on my kindle so so there's in this like collection book that he has there's a i think it's like some I don't know, some kind of scholar that's like aware of all the connections and that's writing this like collection book, I guess, putting it all together. And before each one, there's a little page or two that's like saying the background of the solar system or whatever it's in. Mm-hmm. So that gives it for the, for this world. And it's basically like the gist of it in this case is the the magic is the door is like all in this world. Mm-hmm. but it's geographically slightly different. So I think that's true where like the the magic system is very similar, um, but there's just like slight changes in it. 
I think uh, kind of kind of a kind of a theory that you developed that actually worked out pretty well. <laughs> hey, that might be real. <laughs> you know, if you uh, that might be real that literally everyone already knows. Hey, Luke, if you throw out enough lines, eventually you catch a fish. That's my motto. Finally, you got one. I had to throw this one back, though. It's too small. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, yeah, that one doesn't count. Yeah, that's a catch and release kind of one. You didn't take a picture with that one. <laughs> let's Okay, let's end that metaphor. So, <laughs> Shay, as a character, I'm going to say that she's kind of the worst. What? This might be a hot take. This is a, okay. This is a hot take that I'm that I'm exaggerating just to make it a hot take. My point is, the whole situation where she burns the painting is kind of messed up. <laughs> like, so at first, at first I was okay. Like I was like, wow, she's kind of a dick that she just burned that to, for like pride, I guess. And then like obviously it, it 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 changed by the original artist telling her to burn it, but now he's just a dick. Well, no, no, the, the original artist that like hates the empire, right? Yeah. And so he doesn't want the empire to have the, his art decorating. I don't think the artist is being a dick for not wanting his painting in this, like in what he sees as an evil empire. And it's just sitting. I mean, it's not like it's in a museum. Right? It's in this person's, like, study. Yeah. So, okay. My argument is he could so easily, I think, have just gotten them to move it. This is a government that, like, reveres art and, like, artists. Right? Yeah. And, like, holds them up to be, like, almost the pinnacle of society, it seems. Yes. I... (laughs) I feel like he could have just come up and been like, hey, can we put this in a museum so other people could use it? And they'd be like, for sure. No, but I don't I don't think they would be like, for sure. That's my issue. I think they would be like, no, this is for... Because it's like, the government's racist too. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's already in a place that the grands can see it. So, done. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I... I just feel like there is more avenues for him to go to than to just like get them to destroy. It just, I don't know. I, I feel like he's held up in this circumstance as like kind of heroic for being like, or like super deep, you know, for being like, oh, the lover was gone. So the painting should be too. It's like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like he might not be a complete dick for that. But he's definitely not, like, the hero. Right, so you're taking the side of, of what are we going to say, Gawatan? Or what was the dude's name? Gaetan? Gaetan. Gaetan, sure. Okay, so so you're taking the side of Gaetan. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Gaetan said, you shouldn't have burned it, that art was all of ours after the artist created it. That's not fair. And... I'm definitely on the side of the artist and Shay that, no, the artist definitely gets to decide if their painting gets burned, because it's theirs. They painted it. I mean, I think I think that's true, but I don't think that he's necessarily being heroic for that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't, I think you could be like, I think that's a controversial decision that he's making. I don't know, though, because it's like, it's also kind of a sign of, it's also like a protest. Yeah, but what is he protesting? 
The government, man. Just in general, the government? I, I think that's a pretty ineffective protest. <laughs> yeah, uh... Especially the fact that it was swapped out with a forgery, so it's not like anyone even knows that right. that, that it got burned. He's just being kind of a dick, I think. Yeah, okay, this is my point. Yeah, he's just being kind of a dick. <laughs> he's like, It'll st- you'll still have like a perfect copy in there, but it's not mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, that's that's fair. I think, I think kind of. Maybe he's being kind of a dick. <laughs> but also... I think he's being kind of cool because he's being kind of a like, nah, 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 it's not mine. <laughs> you know, he's like sticking it to the man. Yeah. Like, and he, it's kind of cool that he's like, oh, like he doesn't care about his possessions or like fame and that kind of thing anymore. But <laughs> I don't know. He, it's, it seems as he, it's picture it's pictured as him being like this wise old man. That's like, I don't know, just like has this kind of deep thought that he's transcended. Right. But in reality, he's just being kind of, he's spiteful, basically. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I won't disagree with you there. I think he's being spiteful. Maybe a little petty. In a, non, in a non-productive way at all. Okay, yes. Which is, it's probably not that big of a deal as I'm making it. So that actually ties in super well to something I want to talk about. And that's the fact that Brandon Sanderson hates big government. You think so? Oh. I mean, okay, he definitely hates this government. Okay, so the empire in the emperor's soul he's against, and the this act of protest by this painter is also showing how he, like, hates the government. And in Elantris, the big government in that was the Fjordel Empire, which is this giant government machine that is gobbling up all these other nations and is like the evil thing that's coming to conquer everyone. Okay. He, he didn't have to write it so that this giant government was evil, but he chose to make this big government bad. Right. Yeah. Okay. This is super common that art, like writers, especially of fantasy and sci-fi hate big government. I was I was going to say like I thought you're you you were just saying this about Brandon Sanderson I was going to say that seems like almost every fantasy book. Okay. Tolkien hates big government because Sauron and Saruman basically represent big government seeking to like control everything and run everything. George Lucas hates big government. The Empire is a giant government organization that is seeking to like bring all of the galaxy under their command and there's just all these aragon (laughs) hates big government (laughs) what is it with everybody hating big government every the these writers just make their big governments horrible right all the time (laughs) i can hear i can already hear the person who hates big government big government in real life i can hear them saying that's because the only good government is no government. Why why did you give them a country accent? What? I I'm I'm kind of uh, surprised you gave them a country accent. Oh, did I did I do an accent when I said that? You did a little accent, yeah. Oh, I couldn't hear it. <laughs> but yeah, and it's I I don't know if this is fair, but I view 
people that read fantasy, probably not the same kind of people that in our society want small government. Or at least complain about big government a lot. I think a lot of these... Well, actually, I was going to say most of these seem like they're against just kind of corruption, but I think you're right. It's really just big government. Yeah. Like the Fjordal Empire, it wasn't necessarily corrupt. It was just... And yeah, okay, I'm not saying that the governments that are represented in these books are good. I'm not saying that the empires of any of these stories I would want to live under. I'm saying is the authors of these stories chose to represent these big governments as evil and bad. Why? Why are th- Why is there no good big government? And, and And like Game of Thrones just now, we read, for example, the big government obviously is like King Robert and... Okay, you spoilers for Game of Thrones if you haven't listened to that episode, but this is after that. <laughs> so skip skip for a minute or so. King Robert and the big, I guess the capital government is clearly super horrible, but then like the smaller governments within like the Starks and the like, I guess when people control their small areas are way better. See, so yeah, I think this is almost in every fantasy book where they just kind of rail on how big the government is. So... So I actually think that A Game of Thrones is a counterexample to this. Oh. Because in A Game of Thrones, the big government is incompetent. The big government doesn't really do anything anymore. And so because of that, you have all these tiny factions that have suddenly risen up and are causing this massive war to happen in in Westeros, right? Because the reason it all falls apart at the end is because the like the king's landing doesn't have very much power and sure robert baratheon has been just like being drunk for 12 years and hasn't been <laughs> running the government and as a result all of these like factions have risen up in the world and it's tearing itself apart because there isn't a strong central government and a game of thrones is a positive take on big government because you see the accomplishments of a big government in the night's watch and the wall and all these like great works that have been created because there was a big government that was building them that's fair yeah yeah we can put the game a game of thrones is like one of the few counterexamples. right i like how in a lot of these episodes we we get on tangents that just bring up other books (laughs) i don't know if we should no that's i think that's a good practice oh definitely (laughs) okay i want to talk about in uh something that i already forgot what did we decide was the old man's name gaiden or something gaiden gaiden yeah he said he always complains about her pagan superstitions (laughs) and like it's revealed that his like religion is just that there's like 80 different sons right but it's like her quote-unquote pagan superstition that you're complaining about she's talking about the like theory behind why her magic works (laughs) that you're seeing work (laughs) like how are you calling this a pagan superstition (laughs) well and also as she's going through the throne room she's overturning she's looking at the bottom of vases and being like yep this one is a forgery this one's a forgery like they use it basically nonstop, basically for everything in the emperor's chambers they've used this magic that he is claiming is just some superstition and isn't buying into. And it's like, yeah, but dude, 
you can see it. Like it's <laughs> you can see it working. <laughs> and she's explaining to you <laughs> how it works. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean the parallel to this in real life is I mean, people who, when confronted with scientific evidence, maintain their beliefs that say that it's the opposite of that, right? Right. Like, there are people that do this. Yeah, there are people that want to be able to drive a car around, but don't want to agree that, like, science knows how old the Earth is. And it's like, dude, but you're... You're missing the point. (laughs) I was going to go anti-vax there, but your your example is good, too. Oh. Um... (laughs) Anti-vax is also very good. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I just, it's, what are you, what are you talking about, dude? And, and he's, he seems like a very like knowledgeable, thoughtful person. He's represented as the smart one. He is the one who is good and smart and, and he does kind of come around a little bit at the end, right? He comes, he's like, oh yeah, okay, this, I can't outwardly say I believe in this, but you did good work. Right. <laughs> Well, I, we've we've done it. When, when I was reading this, I honestly. So first of all, I really like this book. Yes, <laughs> I think it's. I think it's one of. I, I've read a decent amount of Brandon Sanderson. I honestly think it might be my favorite work of his. So I was actually kind of expecting. I was kind of struggling to come up with things to make fun of it for. <laughs> but we've done a surprisingly good job of making fun of it. <laughs> oh, we're not done yet, Luke. Oh, <laughs> uh, you guys, you got more. So. There's a point when Shay is explaining to Gaetan how her magic works and how these forgeries work. And she's talking about how everything has a soul. And the thing I couldn't stop thinking about when she said that was a toilet. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Sure. I want to preface this. They don't have toilets, but they have chamber pots. Right, yeah. And they they talked about it explicitly early and at the end. And if every object has a soul, all the chamber pots have souls, and Shay is okay with that. <laughs> yeah, they got a rough deal. The chamber pots did. You're telling me. And Shay also talks about objects as though they want to be the like best representation of themselves specifically she talks about this when she repairs the stained glass window and Gaetan is surprised that it's like worked and Shay explains to him that these objects want to be the best representation of themselves and and, and that's that's also in the when she paints the wall yeah exactly is another good example of that yeah and so then every chamber pot has a soul that just wants to be the best <laughs> chamber pot i guess i I think that's admirable (laughs) and i wonder there's got to be like how many different layers of good chamber pots are there you know is a better chamber pot just bigger (laughs) oh i think that would be worse because that means it's not single use (laughs) (laughs) true yeah so so what it what makes a chamber pot good uh well i've never used a chamber pot but if i were to design a chamber pot something that ergonomically shaped okay yeah yeah something 
that. I don't know if I would want it to be decorated <laughs> or not. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. So, I guess just chamber pots don't have much to aspire to because, like, there's not much room to go. <laughs> I figured out. I figured out what chamber pots aspire to. And that is, every chamber pot aspires to be just a pot. <laughs> like just like a cooking pot or like a vase or something anything <laughs> a chamber pot is the bottom <laughs> that's fair yeah so it's very so so it's very easy to stamp a chamber pot the, yeah is so is is a chamber pot the easiest thing to 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 seal into something else probably i think so i think that's what they practice on i'll bet the the first step yeah you start as a forger they put a chamber pot in front of you and say make this make this anything else <laughs> yeah i think that's true maybe the okay maybe they i think that's fair they only give the like brand new people chamber pots to make if they give like the master uh sealer a chamber pot to make you think he's turning it into a legit toilet? Oh. <laughs> he's got to, right? I, th- yeah, I think so. Because you would think that, like, the best sealer would have, like, a pretty good imagination. Yeah. The the best sealer. So, the best forger. She would be able to forge it into something that the chamber pot hadn't even thought of. Like a toilet. Right. At that that the chamber pot then realizes as soon as the seal hits the chamber pot and it's like, what am I going to be? What? It's like, I want to be that. And then every other chamber pot is like, oh, we need to all be that now. Right. And then, and then, yeah, I think that's how toilets get invented in this world. So what I think is also true is that the reverse is got to be extremely difficult. Like convincing something that's not a chamber pot to become a chamber pot has got to be just so hard to do. Yeah. So at the very end, when Shay takes the vase that's all bad and turns it into a chamber pot, that had to be the thing that took her 99 days to figure out (laughs) how to carve a seal to get the vase to turn into a chamber pot so she could get into the emperor's chambers. (laughs) That was, yeah, that was the, that was the most impressive part of the book to me. (laughs) I I think usually we use really, we try to be really dumb about more sophisticated things in this case i think we were really smart about a really dumb topic (laughs) and i think that's and i think that's growth that we've gone through yeah we'll try not to do that in the future (laughs) there is one tiny tiny detail that i want to talk about that i think luke if you don't have anything else this would be what we close on sure because this is also going to take us back to outside media when Shay is being interrogated when she's first captured, what is the woman's name? Zara, Zara, Zan, something? Something like that, yeah. Zara. Zara, I think is her name. The arbiter who is the antagonist, basically. Luke's looking it up for me. I'm, I'm, I got it. I'm, I'm getting it in here. Let's see. Frava. We were so Frava. Oh, Okay. So when Frava is interrogating Shay in front of the other arbiters, she reaches over to the desk, pulls out a piece of paper and says, oh, I got to look at your file. You got a lot on here. 
Shay, you've done a lot of bad things. And it just took me to every single cop show when they have a perp in the interrogation room and they pull over a manila envelope and pull out their papers and they're like, oh, you got a big rap sheet. And it's like, why does everybody who is interrogating anybody, why do they all have a giant file on everybody? Uh, because it works, Dan. You don't you don't change something that's working. <laughs> this has been working for all all the way since the Emperor's Soul, and it's still working. You don't change that. <laughs> that's the first thing they teach in in interrogation school. <laughs> All right, kids, lesson number one. Always have an envelope available. (laughs) It doesn't need to have anything in it. There don't need to be any words on the paper, but you need to pull out a paper and pretend like it is a giant rap sheet for the person you're interviewing. Trust me, it puts them them on their back foot. (laughs) Props. Always have as many props as possible for an interrogation. Uh, Okay, so let's, let's just briefly talk about where we would rate it and that kind of thing. Um, so I already said I think that this is one of Brandon Sanderson's best, if not his best, uh, like work. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, of the two that we've read for the show, and thus the two that I have read, I think the so it's it's obviously much shorter than Elantris, so there's much less plot that happens, but the mechanic of this like forgery and sealing that brandon introduces here and kind of fleshes out is done really really well uh and it's very it both feels complicated but also you get an understanding of it i think pretty well pretty early on which i think is really cool and i just think the i would say the description is much more vivid in this than in elantris um especially I think Brandon realizes that, especially with scenes where he is, like, describing a painting. Like, when Shay puts up the painting on the wall and Brandon takes the time to describe what the painting looks like, it's like, oh, that's super cool. Yeah. And I think I think this is kind of... One thing I liked about this book is that I think it's pretty hip nowadays. Yeah, hip to write like super gritty books that like end pretty bad. So it's kind of a nice change of pace. You know, we just did game of Thrones. So it's kind of nice to see the ending just be like, work out super well. <laughs> right. Nobody died at the, at the end. Right. And, and, and I think it's a big thing in like fantasy and I guess sci-fi or, or just generally where most stories don't end super well. Like maybe something is resolved, but like, two main characters die or something like that it's like nice this one worked out i needed that today (laughs) i mean that's definitely been brandon's kind of mo with the elantris world is both elantris and the emperor's soul have ended in a pretty happy place honestly they both end pretty well and even like the bad guys don't necessarily die um i mean in elantris a couple of the bad guys died Actually, Elantris had like a little bit of (laughs) grittiness now that I think about it. But it still ended pretty happily, right? Right, yeah. Especially compared to a lot of modern fantasy and sci-fi, I would say. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Yeah, there wasn't like an existential sadness that kind of hit at the end. 
there was like something got like the book got resolved but like not in a satisfying way yeah (laughs) which i feel like is often what happens right yeah so uh luke i also thought this book was great yeah so okay so that that'll that'll wrap up emperor's soul for today uh next episode we're going to do uh we're moving away from fantasy trying to get in some sci-fi and so we're going to be reading what's it called dan hyperion (laughs) hyperion yes so that's that's what our next book will be and i i think this is our first step into sci-fi i haven't read this is the first step this is the first book that we've done that i haven't read actually so uh next week we'll be uh Getting ready for some especially hot takes. And dumb nerds. <laughs>